You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. How are y'all? Doing well? Well, if you have your Bibles, open those this morning to, to 1 Peter chapter 2. And just like Pastor April just said, I'm going to begin a new sermon series this morning and really excited about this. And the name of this series is Level Up. And as we kind of jump into this, uh, and let me kind of give you a little bit of an outline of kind of what, where this series of messages is kind of coming from and what vein. We're sitting here now beginning a new month, the month of February. This is the month where gains really start happening in our lives, right? We're past January where everybody joins the gym and we make all the resolutions and we're going to change some things. But it's now in the the regular day-to-day throes of how the month of February, March, April, May, June is as you begin to make gains. And so I want to spend some time talking about how we, as followers of Jesus Christ, can begin to level up and make gains in our spiritual walk with Him. And so uh, I, I know you're probably a lot like I am, and there were some things that I'd really like to see take a step forward in my relationship with the Lord this year. And so I'm going to kind of spend some time talking about that. And in order to kind of get into this, uh, this concept, I want to remind, I want, I have a simple question for you. Did you guys, or how many of y'all had the grown-ups table growing up? Yeah, a couple. And yeah, the more of you probably, you know what I'm talking about? Like at Thanksgiving, you know, there was a certain table that the grown-ups got to sit and all the kids, the children, had to sit at a little card table that had a broken leg and it was kind of wobbly. And how many of y'all had to sit at the kids' table? Okay, well, at the grown-ups, here's the funny thing about the grown-ups table to me is whenever I was like seven years old, I didn't want to sit at the grown-ups table. It's like I wanted to be around my cousins. We goofed off. We didn't eat, you know. It's like mom would ask us, you know, are y'all eating your dinner? Of course we're eating our dinner, mom. We're not doing anything else. And so it's like whenever I was seven, I didn't want to be at the grown-ups table. I wanted to be at the kids' table, right? But there came a time, and I don't know what, that time is kind of subjective for each person. It's, a, it's really a stage of maturity. There came a time in my life where I was like, I didn't want to be at the kids' table anymore. You know what I mean? It's like I want to be at this place where I get to get in on the conversation that's going on over there, and you start understanding the conversation more and more and more, and you want to not be associated with the babies anymore. You know what I mean? There's, a, there, there's this, this thing that happens in our walk where there's this moment whenever we begin to need to emerge from adolescence and begin to step into maturity. Something that we talk about a lot, we actually, I want to kind of walk you through our kingdom purpose. This, the reason that we have these signs on the wall is these are three statements that are our kingdom purpose. This is what we believe at GTF, the reason why God's placed us here. As a body of believers in Dumas, Texas, is number one to help people discover God's grace. And if you'll notice, I put some scriptures on there to let you know this is, this is a truth that we have held really firmly to since the beginning days. That's why the church is named Grace Through Faith, by the way, is because of that scripture. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, so that you can't boast. It's a gift of God, right? Well, whenever we talk about growing, not only do do we believe that God's placed us here to help people discover God's grace, but it's to help them grow in their faith. I want to read you this this passage. And then the last one is reach. That's on the back wall. And I'm not going to talk about reach today. But I am going to be camping in the place of growing in our faith the next several weeks. 
Tom, can you bring that down just a little bit? I'm getting a real dead ring up here. Look at Ephesians 4.14. This is Ephesians 4.15. I'll get to 1 Peter in just a second. But this, I want to read you this out of the New Living Translation. It says this, Then we will no longer be immature like children. There's a good goal. That's a good life goal for you. If you're going to walk with Jesus and you're going to continue to level up and make gains in your relationship with the Lord, and you're going to move from the kids' table to the grown-ups' table, spiritually speaking. We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is three things, healthy, growing, and full of love. Now, here's the thing that, that I want to talk about the next several weeks, is if you want to level up in your relationship with Jesus, if you want to continue to grow in your faith walk with God, then you can focus on those three simple things, and you will begin to make gains. Here they are again, being healthy, growing and maturing in your faith, and being full of love. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is being healthy, and, and specifically, I want to talk about being spiritually healthy. What does becoming spiritually healthy look like for you and for me? In, in short statement, it's having your innocence restored to you. Having your purity restored, given back, made whole again. So look at at 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to see Peter's picture that, that he paints of God's people, okay? 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if needed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be, holy, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, as Peter paints this picture of the people of God, okay, these are God's people, these are People who are born again, they're saved, they're following Jesus, they want to level up and they want to continue to mature. He paints this picture, and the one that I want you to, he, he talks about being a temple, right? That we are a temple, and you've probably heard that metaphor before, that you are the temple of God, right? But he also uses a different picture. And the, the, the first picture is the one I want to hone in on. He says, like newborn infants, like babies. You and I, like newborn infants, are to relate to God in a certain way. And so this is not in any way a measure of who's more cool with God than others. This isn't a measure for you to say, well, I'm more spiritually mature and I'm not a baby. That's not really not what he's talking about. Everybody starts at the starting line, right? Every person who's in here was born. Whenever you were born, you didn't know how to feed yourself. Have you ever noticed anything about babies? They sure cry a lot, don't they? They cry when they're uncomfortable. They cry when they're hungry. 
this is this is the <laughs> 44-year-old version of Jory and babies, all right? It's like, it's not cute to me. It's like, shh, be quiet. Go feed yourself, right? There's a, there's a point where it's just like, you want them to grow up. And that wasn't where I began as a dad. It's like, I fell in love with Sydney. She was our firstborn. And, and I just fell in love with her and I wanted to take care of all of her. But it's like, you know, I heard a guy say this and it always stuck with me. Um, <laughs> babies are cute, right? Until you have to part the mustache to put the bottle in, right? There is a point where you want an infant to grow up. Change their own pants, quit pooping in them, feed yourself. And by the way, go to college and get a career so I don't have to pay for your rent either. There is a point where we want to move beyond infancy, but here's the thing. We all start there. And it doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey with Jesus. If you're at the starting line, that's fine. Just progress. God wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. He doesn't want you to deal with the same things that you dealt with 10 years ago, 10 years from now. There is a progress that happens in our relationship with the Lord, and it does happen through time and effort. And so Peter is laying this example before you, and he is giving us this example of being infants. We, like infants, okay? And infants cry whenever they're hungry. They cry whenever they're dirty. They cry whenever they're in pain. And I think that the picture that you and I should take away from this that's positive is whenever you have an, a, a baby, that baby is fully and completely dependent upon you. They can't do everything for themselves. It really is unreasonable for us to expect them to change themselves and feed themselves because they don't know how. And so there needs to be some kind of a compassion within us to know they are dependent on me for their very needs. Now here's the thing that I think that you and I can take away from this that's positive is that's how we're supposed to be with God. I tried to meet my own needs apart from Jesus, and I messed up my life in a major way. And one of the things that I have learned to do, and it's, it's very humbling, is to know that I need a Savior. I need God to come and to take care of me, to give me wisdom and to give me direction and give me guidance in my life. I need that. Do you? So we, like infants, this, this is the thing that I'm convinced of, God, is that He wants to become our supply and our portion. As a matter of fact, you know the Bible actually says that. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may feel, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God wants to be the one that you are dependent upon. Because you do need Him. And us acknowledging the fact that we need Him is something that we need to do in order to grow. If you have pride and ego so much in the way that you can't ever acknowledge to Jesus that you need help, guess what? You're not going to get it. See, the, the thing about faith and the thing about being born again is it doesn't come unless you believe and confess with your mouth, right? Isn't that what Romans 10 says? You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. And in that moment, in that process, you're, you become born again. Now, if we're going to be infants, look at the next thing that Peter goes on to say in verse 2. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up. 
You and I, if we want to begin to level up in God, if we want to be spiritually healthy, have innocence restored, we have got to get to the place where we learn to yearn for God. Look at what Philippians 2.12 says. It'll be up on the screen. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, there's a point whenever you believe in Jesus, you're born again, right? That's the gift of God, not by your works. You don't have to work for it. You have to believe. But after that place of being born into God, then he expects you to begin to your process of sanctifying who you are, and it is him that works into wills. Did you know that in order for you to walk with God with a level of success, you're going to have to have your desires changed? It's the reality of Jesus giving you a new heart. That's what happens. And God has completely and fully done it at the point of of the new birth, right? But there is this sanctification that, that as we read in Philippians, Paul is talking us to do, is that we work out our salvation. What has been done now becomes applied to our life. And as we apply it to our life, growth happens. There is a place for you where God can redefine your desires. And that's what that verse says. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, here's the reality. Okay, let's, let's make this practical. Whenever I got saved many, many years ago, my desires did not line up with God. I didn't want the same things that God wanted for me. I was greedy. I was selfish. I wanted to do all of the same things that I was doing before, right? Am I the only one that was like that? Or did, or did, did you all of a sudden, you just kind of started craving reading the Word of God? I don't know about you, but there was this desire that had to change in me. And that's one of the things that I want you to see is that God is somebody who can redefine your desires. He can sanctify the things that you crave. What Peter told us just a second ago is to learn to yearn. That we as newborn infants would begin to crave spiritual milk. Now listen, your flesh is never going to crave that. You're going to have to render your flesh dead. You're going to have to crucify your flesh consistently. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? And so whenever I first gave my life to Jesus, I still wanted to go party. I still wanted to go do all of the things that I was doing before. Lie to my boss, all that stuff. But I knew because my awareness and my conscience had been awakened that it was wrong. And so there was this process that I had to go through and every single follower of Jesus has to go to where it's like, God, will you reform who I am? And a lot of times what we want to jump to is our behavior, right? We want to start reforming what we do. But listen, it starts with what you want. Do you want purity? And if some of us are honest, it's like, no, I don't want purity. Do you want to quit drinking? I don't know that I want to. I was talking to a person years and years and years ago, and, and, and he was on the phone with me, and he was, he was just praying, Pastor Jory, I just really want to quit smoking. Pray for me to quit smoking. And, and then I asked him, I was like, do you want to? And he's like, yeah, I want to. And I was like, no, do you really want to? He's like, not really. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> he was honest. And I was like, okay, we can work with that. How about we start praying that God would change your desires? Let's start there. 
And then we can work on behavior. You know, it's really easy to change the things you do whenever you want the right thing. Whenever your desires become lined up with God's holiness, then you begin to crave what God wants for your life, and the the behavior part works itself out. So we have to learn to yearn for spiritual maturity. And so let's continue with this picture by looking at children. So Peter has us looking at infants. Look at the life of Jesus. And I want to show you a couple things. And you've heard the term childlike faith before. But I'll put up on the screen. Actually, turn over to Matthew chapter 18. I want you to read this one. Matthew chapter 18. You might have heard this, in, in, in this interaction of Jesus before. But in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is one of those stories of Jesus that actually is in all four of the Gospels. Not everyone is in all four of the Gospels, but this is one of them. And in Mark chapter 10, stay there in Matthew 18. But in Mark chapter 10, it kind of gives you this picture of here is, <clears throat> here is the disciples and all these kids start circling around Jesus, right? And as they do, the disciples get annoyed with these kids. Now, it is a normal thing in Jesus' day for children to come up to a rabbi to get blessed. For him to lay their hands, lay his hands on them and to bless them. And that's kind of what was going on. And for whatever reason, the disciples were hungry and grumpy or whatever. I don't know. But they got annoyed with the kids and they kind of was like, get out of here, kids. And Jesus turns to them and he says this, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You've heard of childlike faith. That's really kind of the picture of what Jesus was trying to get to. Is It's like, if you want to become born again a citizen of heaven, here's a prerequisite. You need to receive that kingdom just like a child would. You need to have that faith that just kind of is like, you know what? I can have that. That, that thing inside of you, that doubt, that unbelief that says to you that, no, you're, you're messed up. You're the exception of the rule. Nobody can save you and Jesus doesn't want you. You have to get past that and be able to receive it like a child in order to inherit it. Amen? That's the gospel, simply put. That if you believe like a child, you get in. But listen, you don't only need childlike faith to become born again. You actually need childlike purity as well. Now, let me take you to Matthew chapter 18. And this is another interaction that Jesus had with children, and it's different. This is not the same interaction, okay? So the disciples were trying to prevent kids, and Jesus said, let them come. He starts talking about childlike faith, receiving the kingdom like a child. Then in Matthew chapter 18, something different happens. Verse 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus, and the disciples asked him a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, so Jesus uses an illustration here, calling to him a child, he put the child in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, did you notice the difference in those two different statements? I'm going to put them up. Letty, if you'll go to the next slide. Side by side. Mark chapter 10. This is the one that actually... So that you know that this is different, this verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 15, that interaction that Jesus had with his disciples and those kids, that happens in the next chapter of Matthew. So we're reading in Matthew 18, he has the grumpy disciples shooing the kids away in chapter 19. So this is a completely different scene. In Mark chapter 10, it says, whoever does not receive the kingdom 
like a child shall not enter it. But then at a different time, he says, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, not only do you need to believe and receive the kingdom like a child, but you need to become like a child to enter in. And you need to have your innocence restored. You and I need, in our walk with the Lord, to return to innocence and purity. Babies and children are the perfect illustration to, to point this out, to, to, to kind of get the idea of innocence. It's like you look at a baby and they're just pure. They haven't really made any mistakes yet, have they? They didn't do anything yet. They haven't lied. They haven't stolen a toy. They haven't done all the bad stuff that comes later on in life. And what happens in that baby's life is a lot like what happened in your life and in my life is once we grow, we kind of bump into this fallen, sinful world and we get corrupted, don't we? It's true that you are born with sin, but actually as you begin to grow, you begin to participate with that sin, don't you? And you do your own. You do your own stuff. And as we begin to participate with that sin, we pick up this corruption and we're compromised and we are no longer innocent. I don't know where you're at today, but I would bet my entire life savings that you've been corrupted because every single person in this room has. Your innocence has either been taken from you or you've squandered it. For many of us, it's both, right? We've been victims of our innocence being taken, but we've also just spent it foolishly. But it doesn't change the fact that if we're going to step into everything that God has for us and level up into what He wants for us in our walk with Him, that we have to return to purity. Now remember where we started, leveling, talking about leveling up and talking about if we're going to level up, do three things. Talking about becoming spiritually healthy and having our innocence restored and being, fully, being full of love and growing. And as I talk about having your innocence restored, I think that some of you are probably sitting here going, I don't feel very innocent. I don't know that I can be pure again. And that's the thing I want to talk about. If that's where you are, you're the person that I need to talk to today. Everything that I've said up to this point has just kind of been a build-up to this moment. But listen, if you are here and you believe that you can't have purity and innocence, that's the sickness. See, what Peter told us is that, that, that we need to become spiritually healthy, that we need to become healthy so that we'll continue to grow. And if you're struggling with this mindset that says, hey, because of your corruption... Because of what's been done to you, because of what you've done, you can't have purity and innocence in your life anymore. Listen, it's a lie. You're not the exception to the rule. And if you want to continue to grow in God, you're going to have to get that error, that lie, that, that thing that is not true out of your existence. See, the reason that some of us aren't yearning for pure spiritual milk, we're not yearning for innocence and purity, is because we don't believe that we can have it. We've already been corrupted. I've already lied. I've already cheated. I've already stolen. I've, I've lost my virginity. I've all done all those different things that I'm not supposed to do and I know we're wrong, right? How can innocence be restored to you? And listen, it's something that's supernatural and only God can do it. Listen, as you look at those two verses and it says to you, turn and become, listen, that's not something, the second word there is not something you can do. 
You can turn, but he's the one that remakes you. The new birth is all about regeneration, and regeneration means that you are a new creation. It means that the old is gone, the new has come. That there is something inside of you now that is pure. Listen, if you're not pure, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And so something paradoxical and something divine and supernatural has to happen within me in order to qualify me to enter in because if not, I'm still corrupt. That is the good news. Now I want you to turn over to in your Bible to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, I actually recently used this in a message, and so I've preached this passage here recently. And while I do this, I want to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up and get, the, get set and ready for communion. But you guys listen to me, okay, because I want to read you this passage. And I want to show you this concept at the end. I didn't have time to delve into this several weeks ago whenever I was doing this, uh, this passage, but this is a story of Jesus being anointed, Okay. And he, if, you, if you don't remember the story, if you weren't here that one Sunday, I'll just kind of recap it for you. Um, look at verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, so he invited him to dinner. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table, and behold, a woman of the city, a, it's probably a prostitute, a woman of the city. A woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." Now, if, if you, as you think about that, here's this Pharisee that's offended because this corrupt woman is interacting with Jesus. And it's a story of self-righteousness, and Jesus really leans into that, and he confronts the Pharisee, and he tells him this story about a banker. And as he tells him this story about a banker, he says there was this, this, this guy who lent money, a banker, and he had some people who couldn't pay their debts. They were going bankrupt, and they couldn't pay their debt back. And let's say one of them had a car that they couldn't pay back and it was fixed to get repossessed and the banker forgave the note. But the other person was about to lose their house. And the banker forgave their note. And he asked the Pharisee, he said, who loves that banker more? He said, probably the one who got their house forgave. He's like, you've answered wisely. And he begins to talk and confront this Pharisee about the self-righteousness in his heart. And he says, I came into your home, you didn't offer me a kiss, which was hospitable. You didn't offer me uh, water to wash my feet. You didn't offer me the, the social norms that you would have offered anybody else. But this woman has come and she's not stopped kissing my feet, washing my feet, anointing me with oil. And then he says this in verse 47, and here's the point that I want you to pay attention to today. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your, so Jesus turned to her, and he said, your sins are forgiven. 
Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this that even he, he thinks he can forgive sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That word forgiven, it means to be sent away. Or it can mean to be removed. Now I want you to think about that whenever you think about being pure. And I want you to think about that whenever you think about being innocent. That's what forgiveness is is that God comes and does something supernatural in your life that you cannot do for yourself. You cannot wash your corruption off. Jesus comes and he removes it. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't cover it up so nobody can see it. He removes it completely. As a matter of fact, this is what Psalm 103 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, our corruption from us. He has taken, whenever you come and you turn away from your life and you turn towards Jesus, he does what you can't do and he sends your sin away as far as the east is from the west. He removes it from you so that you are no longer corrupt, but he not only leaves you in that state, he restores innocence and purity your life if you're going to grow in God and you're going to go to the next level in your relationship with him you're going to have to believe that to yearn for purity just like an infant yearns for pure spiritual milk we are called to yearn for purity and innocence and have the, the Holy Spirit come and begin to sanctify our desires he can do it in you if you crave For the things of the world, you crave for darkness, you crave sin. Listen, God can come and miraculously begin to refine and sanctify your desire so that you begin to crave the kingdom. If you would stand with me this morning. We're going to take communion. If you need elements, just raise your hand. We have some ushers that will give you those elements. As you take this bread and, and, and take this juice... The thing that I want you to to meditate on as the worship team leads us in worship this morning is, is innocence and purity. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and have been for a long time, I think that the Lord wants to remind you of something today, is that you're pure. Believe in the power of God's Spirit to sanctify you and make you holy. But if you're here today and, and you didn't, You came in this place today thinking, man, I'm corrupt and there is no hope for me. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you and He wants to come remove every form of corruption out of your life to forgive your sins. Your sins aren't the unforgivable ones. You aren't the one that's the exception to the rule. And so as you receive these elements today, I want you to meditate on that. And if it's just a reminder of I am innocent in God today, then allow that truth to wash over you in a fresh way. But if you are in this moment, you need to relinquish your life and receive forgiveness of your sins, then do that between you and the Lord.